0: All right, we're going to get to work here. You ready? I'm ready. I think I'm ready. So we are, like like, a, like Eric was saying, we're going to be in the, in the book of Psalms for the next few weeks. We're going to be in there for a few weeks, and then we're going to jump back into Acts. Uh, and then we'll be there in Acts for the rest of the year, by and large, except for a few sermons here and there, possibly, and then Advent around Christmas. But when Alan came to me about a, a little bit over a week ago and he said, Hey, man, would you pray for me? Uh, would you be interested? I said, uh, Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm learning to trust God right away. Normally my normal response is, I got a lot of things going on. <laughs> you know, VBS is coming up. I got this and that. And I'm kind of kind of scared, a little bit of uh, trepidation. You know, like, Oh, okay, God. But, but if, if God's given me an opportunity to do it, I want to say yes to him. And I want to be able to proclaim God's word. And man, it was funny because I thought I was busy. I thought there was a lot, and then the world blew up around me. Boom! And I was like, okay, uh, okay, fine. Uh, you know, I had a lot of different things going on. I had friends. I got a friend who's, who's very, very ill right now, very sick. I've got some things going on that are just difficult, and uh, the world has been hectic. And I was telling Eric right before we began, I didn't inc- intend to to uh, tell you all this part of it, but it's, it's, I was finally finishing up my sermon yesterday, which is not normal for me. Normally I would have had most of it done Tuesday and then polished it by Thursday. And as I was finishing it up, I was broken. And I got down on my face, and I don't tell you this because I don't want you to think anything good about me. It was the only place for me to be. was down on my face. And I thought, God, this isn't Why? I'm going to be talking to you about how we need the presence of God. How what we need is him. I don't need to be taken out of my problems. I need him in my problems. How am I going to talk to you about it today if I'm not feeling it? How am I going to be able to say to you, listen, I need you, God, now. That was my cry, God. I'm just stuck in my sermon. And I feel like sometimes he almost laughs, not in a hateful way, but just like, yeah, you do need me. If you're going to say anything that matters, if you're going to say anything that has any eternal consequence, you better find me first in this. And so God graciously, graciously, I believe, gave a word to me for me, and I hope it helps you some today. Um, and what's amazing to me about being in Psalms is I am a music person. I'm not musical, but I'm a music person. Eric somewhere listening to that is nodding. Um, <laughs> I cannot keep time. I am not in key. I'm half deaf from all the things that my job, shooting guns and stuff like that. And so my key is like, I'm here and then I'm over there. But man, I'm going to tell you this. I was worshiping a minute ago and I don't care what it sounded like. You know, and I love, love music. There is something about music that reaches down inside of you and touches something at the core of who you are. And anybody that's musical knows what I'm talking about. Because I'm telling you right now, there's a song that'll come on. I don't care where I'm at. I'm about to go off. I'm like, man, that's, that's my song. It's, it's not a particularly spiritual song or anything like that. Don't, no. but, but, but it's just like, that's my jam. I don't care where I'm at. I'm going to sing. You can think what you want. I do not care what you think about it. That's my song, right? And... Uh, it's funny to me because most of the time when you have one of those, it's things that you really kind of, I'm not talking about like sinfully ought to be ashamed of, but it's like, man, that's really not a good song. It's just kind of dumb and silly, but boy, it's just good to me. Or I don't know about y'all, but there's also the kind of song that says something, you know, somebody's just hurting so much that they write it on paper and you're like, oh, yes. Yeah, I didn't know anybody ever felt that way other than me. I didn't know that there were other people out there that felt the same way as me. How can they write it down and make it make so much sense? You know, and, and guys, there is something about songs that do that. They reach inside and they touch us in places that connect deeply with who we are as people. And I think that's why there's a songbook right in the middle of the Bible. Right? These were songs that they sang. And I've got... I'm, I'm very blessed by my job here. I, I, I'm... I, I say this all the time. I think I'm more blessed than most men. Um, I have everything in the world going for me, and I have I have some really good friends in the youth. Um, I'm this, you know, as much as a 52-year-old guy can be a friend with a you know, 17-year-old. But, but they are really cool to me. I really, really like them a lot. And I've got a couple of them that occasionally share lyrics with me. They like to write uh, a lot of spoken word stuff. And they'll text them to me, so I don't know how you do spoken word through text. But it is, you know, it's poetry, man, and it's beautiful. I love it. A lot of this is the same kind of thing when we look at it. But it, it's, um, it's interesting to me how much of uh, spoken word is a lot like the Psalms. It's this pouring out of who we are. It's like I can, I can almost hide behind my lyrics and just be vulnerable. I can take a second and just say what's really inside of me that I can never say to you in person. I can never stand in front of you and go, hey, man, I'm broken and I'm, I'm destroyed and I don't have anything left. I'm at the end of my rope, but I'm going to trust God anyway. But, but I can write that to you and go, yeah, but that's just a song. It lets you deal with those things and you have to craft them and you have to think deeply about what does it mean and what am I trying to say? And, and I'm not talking about like when you know, we do it through text or something like that because the way that we you know, converse through text and emails and stuff like that tends to be pretty bad when you agree that, that it's all left to the, the reader's intention. But when you're writing something like poetry, you have to stop and go, I'm conveying word pictures. I'm conveying things in a way that is going to do what I said earlier and reach inside them and go, yes, that I get it. You know, In fact, one of them even told me that. He said, hey, man, I want to talk to you about something, but it's really difficult for me. Could we just send lyrics back and forth? And so I do the best I can. I'm, I'm not a poet, but I fancy myself to be one. And uh, uh, I got mad bars, just trust me. But, um, but, but I, I, I would throw them some stuff back, and they would throw some stuff to me back. And, and as we would do it, it just helped me get where they were at, helped me understand what was going on inside them. And it's been a fantastic opportunity for me. Uh, I will say this too. For those of you who are sitting there going, well, I could never do that. I could never write poetry. I could never write a song. I could never. That irks the mess out of me. God created us. He is the creator God. There is nothing more creative than the God we serve. And if you serve him, you have his spirit living inside you to make you creative. Stop saying that what you can't do, God can't. Right? Now, you may not be creative like somebody else, but, but God's intention is to use creativity in you to make his known for the kingdom of God and for the benefit of other people. And if you don't believe that, I think you're missing out on a whole lot of scripture because there's a whole lot of scripture that points to that. That by the gifts that he's given and talents that he's given us, his intention is to use us broken, messed up people to glorify a perfect God. And so use your creativity. And if you haven't, ask God. Ask him, God, help me be creative. Help me, help me see where I could do something. Uh, you, you, you know, whether you can or can't, you're probably right. With God, it's all that. Because with God, all things are possible, right? So, <clears throat> at some point, I'll get to the sermon here. But <laughs> when, uh, when Alan came and asked me, though, and he said, hey, man, would you preach? I knew immediately which psalm I was going to preach. We have just been going through Matthew in 605, which is our youth. Uh, Sunday night was Sunday night. It's going to be moving to Wednesday night. Uh, Sunday night thing. We... Uh, We went through Matthew, and we were doing key passages in Matthew and working through them together. And as we got towards the end of the year, I hit the passage in Matthew that has a lot to do with the psalm I'm teaching about today. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, I've got to teach this to him because of a couple reasons. One, because it's it's a difficult passage, honestly. I think it's often misunderstood. I think it's difficult to understand. I think it's also a little discomforting. It's disquieting. And it's like, I don't know what to do with what it's saying. And so I was like, yep, that's what we're going to talk about. Because one of my goals is for them to be able to go out in the world and tackle big, difficult situations and not be afraid of them. I was afraid of it, just to be clear. There's part of me today that's like, man, this this is a hard thing to talk about. But we're going to talk about it, okay? So let's get this thing going. Here we go. I'm going to read the scripture to you, then we're going to come back and break it down. This is going to take a minute. Psalms 22, the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me, from saving me, from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. You are holy, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make their mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust in you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast for my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths at me like raving and roaring lions. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me, and they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All of you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard him when he cried to him. From you come my praises in a great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For the kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prospects of the earth eat and worship before him. Oh, I'm sorry, let me read that again. All the prospects of the earth eat and worship. but Before him shall bow down all who go down to dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the uh, the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your word that teaches us and instructs us, that enlightens us and helps us understand who you are and how we should be. So I pray today as we break some of this down, God, that you'd be with us, that your presence would be here, and you'd help us understand. Amen. So to the chief choir master, according to the Doe of the Dawn, a psalm of David. Um, I want to start and make sure that we understand something about the Bible that I didn't understand for a long time. Uh, the, the chapters and verses, the things like the titles and headings, those are not really scripture. Those were put in later, why? For our benefit, right? So that you and I can go find where these passages are and what they're about, essentially. And so it's important for us to get that, because when it says the heading to the choir master, to the tune of Doe of the Don, a psalm of David... That wasn't in the original text. It was just the text, right? And so I just want to make sure so that we're faithful to God's word. We're not 1,000% sure that this was David that wrote this psalm. Um, I think it was. I personally believe that there's so much stuff that goes on between David and, and who Jesus is that it's pretty clear that that's who it is, but I'm, we're not 100%. And so if you hear me take, you know, change the psalmist to David or David to the psalmist, don't freak out. I'm just trying to be faithful to what we know for sure, right? Um, the other thing is, I love that it says it's to the tune of Doe of the Dawn. Y'all remember that one, right? You all know that song? Okay, so when I'll read it again later, you can just kind of play that in your head. I, we don't know what that song was. I don't think anybody in the world knows what that song is. Why? Because that, that, that song was not inspired by God, necessarily. It wasn't inspired in the way that it was Scripture, but Psalm 22 was. And so that's why we study it. And what I think is pretty cool and what's going to stand out is... Psalms 22 is not about the psalmist. The psalmist penned it, but it is clearly about somebody else. And if it was David, it was not about David. You know, um, The story is not about David any more than the story of David and Goliath is about David, right? I think in the past, sometimes we've made mistakes where we think, well, I'm like David. You know, You're know, you not like David because David was David. And David faced Goliath, not you, right? But what the story of David and Goliath is about is not about David. It's about a God who delivered Israel with a little boy named David, Right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was not about, about three young boys who defied a king. It's about three young boys who God delivered from a fiery furnace because they trusted him. Right? Noah's not about a man who was so good that he, he saved the world and all of mankind. Instead, it was a, a, about a man who found favor. It starts with that. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and that made him right with God, and then God used him to save mankind. But you've got to understand, the story of the Bible is a song that's every lyric, every word is Jesus. Everything points either forward or backwards to him. Every one of them says this is who he is. This is who you're waiting for. Not somebody else. Not David. Not me. Jesus. So as we think about these things, make sure we're getting that because the thing that's funny in this is if David wrote this, There's some sufferings and things in here that I'm sure he was going through, but some of them don't line up with what would have happened to him at that time, even in the midst of his suffering. But they clearly line up with things that happened to Jesus on the cross. And so we're going to go through some of those. And the way that we're going to do that is actually I'm going to read the scripture and then I'm going to bring the the companion verse from the gospel in. We're going to talk about them for a few minutes and what that means to the psalmist and what it should mean to us. Okay, so let's do some work. Here we go. Starts off with this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Jesus on the cross about the ninth hour says the exact same words. Matthew twenty seven, forty six says, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabbatani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so back in the Old Testament, you know, in the Old Testament times, they had so much better memories than us. You know that? You know that, that, that probably there's not been a time in history where the, the memory has been worse. Part of it is because I don't have my nomads down there, because of the cell phones that we carry. We have little computers that stand here, so we don't have to use this computer as much. Now, they're great tools, and they're wonderful things at times. But what they have done is they've gotten away from our ability to, to keep rote memorization of things. There, there was, there's, there's a story that I heard this week about a man who said that I had a friend who told me that his... Uh, he was, his dad wanted to be a rabbi, so he put him in a room for two years, and he learned the Psalms. And the guy said, yeah, I didn't believe him. And I went, he goes, no, test me. Tell me the first line of any of the Psalms, and I'll quote it to you. And he goes, fine. He got out his Bible. That tells you right there, there's a difference. But he got out his Bible, and he goes, okay, this one. And the guy would quote it to him. The guy would quote it to him, because the way that they used to introduce a psalm to you, they wouldn't go, this is Psalm 22. They would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's like us when we do a song. Oh, you know that song, that one that says da-da-da-da-da, right? That's how they would do it. And so here's Jesus on the cross, quoting the beginning of Psalms 22. Why? Why? Well, I think there's two reasons, and we're going to get into them deeper in just a minute. But one of them is because he wants people to go, Hey, man, I want you to look at Psalms 22 because there's something going on right now that's pretty important. Right? So I do think the key reason, or one of the key reasons right now, though, is the reason that I believe that this is some of the most disturbing and disquieting Scripture. It's because something is happening right now that we don't like to talk about as Christians because it's difficult theology. I don't think it's difficult in the sense that it's hard to understand. I just think it's something that we don't like. And so here's what I mean by that. Jesus became sin for us. That moment on the cross, he took on all of the sins of the world, past, present, future, your sins and mine, the ones that you've already done, the ones that you're going to do today and the ones that you're going to do later in your life. And God is a perfect holy God. And cannot and will not have anything to do with sin. And so, because he became sin for us, for a moment, however long it was, God and Jesus were separated. And here's what it says: look at it. You know, the thing that hit me, and I was talking to the youth about it when we went through the Matthew passage, was I always looked at the verse in the Garden of Gethsemane where God says, my God, my God you know, if, if, if it be at all possible, allow this cup to pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. I always looked at that in the past. I think very naively, honestly, that what Jesus was worried about was the cross, was the pain and the suffering of the cross. But why does he use the word this cup? What is the cup that he wants to pass from him? Well, it's the cup of God's wrath. It's God's righteous anger against the sin of mankind. God's saying, I will not take party. And part of that. I will have nothing to do with that. And somebody's got to pay. I think I think it's a difficult thing. And it hurts me personally. When I realize that's me. I did that. You did that. Don't soft sell this to yourself either. You caused that. With my laziness. With my hatefulness. With the things that I picked to do instead of following Christ. I caused that. So... I also think that that while it must have been difficult for the psalmist to suffer through the things that he was going through and not feel the presence of God, how tiny is that compared to? The perfect relationship that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit had together that is now, because of sin, broken. It had to be like a sea of difference. But Like it says here in in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, For our sake, for me and you, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of us. Jesus went through what he went through. I think it's also important for us to take note of what the psalmist and Christ cry out on the cross because when I'm going through personal suffering, when I'm struggling, I think normally my first prayer is this. Hey, God, take me out of it. God, make this stop. God, would you stop them? Would you get them? Would you fix this now? But that's not what they prayed, is it? My God, my God, where are you? God, I need you. I'm not saying take me out of this problem. I'm saying join with me in this problem. You are my God. You are sovereign over all creation. You brought me to this day. Help me trust in you by feeling that you're here. And I'm not talking about the feeling of like I want some ooey gooey sense of God. I'm talking about like the trust and the faith that even if I don't feel it, I know. That's what I'm talking about. Because that feeling's not going to get me through, the feeling's not going to get me over. But the quiet assurance that God is still who he said he is, that's going to get me over. But anyway, let, let's keep going. I don't pray that way first, normally. First, normally, I'm like, hey, change it. Um, and then he cries out this. Listen to this. Um, oh, my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And so here's another thing. Today's confessional day for me, apparently. One other thing that I don't do well is I don't, I don't, I'm not persistent in prayer when I'm struggling. I pray once and go, God, why don't you fix this? And walk away. And then I'm angry or frustrated because it didn't change. But, but the psalmist David here says, man, I cry by day and by night. I have not given up on crying out to you. I have not stopped saying, where are you at? What are you doing? Help me. I need you. I'm not getting an answer. I'd like an answer. I'm not getting any answer, and I'm getting no peace, but I'm going to keep crying out to you. We need to learn from that. Have him join us in the suffering, and then, God, I'm not giving up until you do. In a minute, we're going to see, guess what? He shows up because he's God. He says this in verse 3, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and in you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. God, I've seen what you've done. I know all the stories. David loved the Lord. He knew what God had done in the past. But why aren't you doing it now? People trusted you. You rescued them. They trusted you. And they didn't look like fools for trusting you. But I'm a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. I felt this way, y'all. You ever felt like, man, uh, the situation I'm in, I, I know you're God. I know what you've done. But why aren't you doing it now? I'm scared. I'm confused. Why aren't you rescuing me? Why aren't you delivering me? Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not worth saving. I'm not a man. I'm a worm. That is not the answer. That is not the correct thing to take away from this. You know, you feel like you're being put to shame. Like, man, I I follow God and I'm looking like an idiot right now. I just don't understand, God, why aren't you doing what I think you should do? And that's the wrong answer. That's the wrong answer. The right answer is me crying out to him and saying, God, whatever it is, I need you. Whatever is going on, you. You're the answer. But here's where the psalm, to me, takes on some amazing things. And just bear with you for a few minutes. We're going to go through this. I think it's pretty cool when we see how this works together. Watch this. He says, all who see me mock me. They make their mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. In Matthew 27, 39, it says, and those that passed by derided him. What? Wagging their heads. So the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him if he desires him. For he said, I'm the Son of God. It is an amazing thing to me that all those years ago, God carrying along the psalmist showed him even what the wicked people would be doing that day. Now, th- these people have zero of inten- uh, intention of going, Let me tell you something, Psalms 22 is about Jesus, and you can even know it through my hatefulness and my wickedness. But God will use the things of this world, these wicked people, to prove he's exactly who he said he was. He's exactly who he said he is. Guys, it's amazing to me. They don't, these are the guys, the, 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 the chief priests and the scribes hate Jesus. Last thing in the world they want is you believing that he's the Messiah. But by their very testimony of, let God rescue him, let God save him. Did they not know the Psalm 22? Or, I guess for them, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did they not read it? Because you can't you can't undo what God's doing. You can't make him do what you want. He makes you do sometimes what he wants. But check it out. It says this then. Oh, my God. I, uh, nope, wrong one. Let me go here. That would help. I went way back. Y'all don't want to start over, do you? Okay, me neither. Okay, good. I'm glad nobody said yes. I think you should get another shot at that. But um, here's what he says. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. David cries out, man, I've trusted you a long time. You've created me for a purpose, and I am in big trouble. You need to be with me. it's, it's, It's amazing to me that what we see here in the psalm is this continued, I need you, I need you, I need you. There's not something else there. He wants rescue from the problems, but he keeps going back to you're the one who can do it. You're the only one that's there. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's none to help me. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. We'll just do a little bit of like history and geography stuff for just a second. Bashan, uh, which was later called Caesarea Philippi, was in the northern kingdom of Israel. It was a lush, fruitful area. It was highly, highly desirable. And it was also the hub or the center for Baal worship. Um, so that's not a good thing. There was a, a cave there that uh, the, the pagans of Jesus' day believed was the gateway to the underworld or the gates of hell. Uh, it was here where Jesus sat down and, and was uh, talking to, the, to his disciples. And he said, listen, uh, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so it's no wonder that when we hear him saying, hey man, I'm using, I'm using this reference of the, the evil spirit realm that is also all around me as well, that while Christ is on the cross building his church, Psalms 22 points to not just the physical and the emotional torment of the cross, but also to the spiritual torment that was going on as well. It says this, and uh, it says, you know, I think we forget that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, you know, I rode the medic for a long time, and I've picked up a lot of different people, and I'm not going into some supernatural huge story here. I'm just going to take a second with this. I have picked up people that were mentally ill, and I've picked up people that were demon possessed. And There is no amount of medication or counseling that is going to fix somebody who is demon-possessed, okay? There's also no amount of casting out of spirits that's going to heal somebody who's not demon-possessed and needs medicine and needs counseling, right? And so you need to prescribe the right thing for the right thing, right? And so here he's saying there is, by the way, an absolute spiritual aspect of war that's going on on the cross. Honestly, it's the war that he's fighting, Right? So I just don't want us to miss that because I think, honestly, sometimes we're just a little afraid of talking about the supernatural realm. It's real. The Bible says so. The end, I don't care how it makes you feel about it. So the next thing he says is, uh, ultimately what he says is, I don't have anything left, God. He says, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. And my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. I am done. The posture is a broken piece of pottery, by the way, if you didn't know that. I didn't. I had to look it up. <laughs> so I was like, well, I guess I better know that in case somebody asks me. But anyway, anyway, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I've been here. I think a whole lot of people, with everything that's been going on in the world lately, even recently, I just, I'm done. I'm done. I don't have anything left, God. I just Why? I don't get it. You I feel that way sometimes, man. I get what the psalmist is saying, man, I just don't have anything left to give right now. Now praise God, he, he's not out of stuff to give yet. But he says this. He says, "For dogs encompass me, a company of evil doers encircle me. they've pierced my hands and feet. So, execution by crucifixion, right? It was invented by the Persians, um, 300 to 400 B.C. The Romans perfected it. That's not a great word for execution, but they perfected it and made it a, a, a very, very horrible, drastic, painful form of execution. In fact, it was so painful, it, it, from, the cro- from, from the cross is where we get the word excruciating, the worst kind of pain. And, and here, one to two hundred years before that, before crucifixion was a thing, why is the king of Israel talking about the king of Israel being crucified? I mean, he had no frame of reference for it. David's never experienced this. No one's crucified him. No one pierced his hands and feet. Maybe, it, maybe it's because the king of Israel was prophesying about the one true king of Israel being crucified. 17 says, I can count on my bones. They stare and gloat over me. And so when the Romans wanted to expedite it, they would come by and they would break the legs of the person being crucified. Why? So that they couldn't push up on the nail through their feet so they could get their lungs stretched out enough to breathe. And so they'd suffocate quicker that way. It says, I can count all my bones. And in John nineteen thirty three, it says, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots, Matthew 27. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. We can choose to be willfully ignorant if we want to be. Jesus fulfilled every prophecy. Jesus fulfilled everything that he said because he's exactly who he said he was. But you, O Lord, do not be far off from me. Come quickly to my aid. Oh you my help, sorry. Oh you my help. Come quickly to my deliver me my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog, save me from the mouth of the lion. Again, your presence. You, I need you. And then there's an amazing thing that happens in the middle of Psalms 22 that it changes from a song of lament, a song of sorrow over the suffering and the separation from God that is going on to one of victory and assurance. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Past tense. It is done. You have rescued me. It is accomplished. It says, And then he changes his tone. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All of you offspring of Israel. He heard him when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He heard him and he answered him. He heard him and he said, I'm here. And you and I, who are the ones who are afflicted by our sins and our suffering and our fear, he hears your cry. It's an amazing thing that God loves us so much. It makes no human sense. Praise God, he's not like us. I love that it says this, by the way, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. We're going to be happy with what God has for us. It's going to be more than enough. It says that all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before me. And when I read this, listen to me, listen to what it says. All the families of the nations shall worship me. With all of the divisiveness and hatred that is going on in the world, not just our country right now, based on things like where people come from and their skin color. I don't believe that someone who is an active racist can say that they love the Lord. When it says every tribe, every tongue, every nation, I think it means it. And if you don't like people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, you're going to hate heaven. And so you're not going to pick God because you don't want to be there. Guys, let me tell you something. It's clear in this that he came to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And guess what? Most of us in this room are Gentiles. Most of us in this room are other than Jews. Praise God. He came to us, not just us people and not those people, but us. He wouldn't have been wrong not doing it. I just want to be that clear. Look, if he'd never saved anybody, he'd have been fine. It was his goodness and his graciousness that gave us Jesus Christ that provided a way for me and you to be right with him when we have no right to be right with him. We cost all of this. This is me. This is you. And none of us ever ought to point at anybody else. I don't care how vile their sin and say, but they don't deserve it. There's one guy in this room I know who does not deserve salvation. One guy. And that's the only one I ever talk about. I don't deserve it, but he gave it to me, so I'm taking it because I'm not foolish. Let me tell you something. Salvation is free gift. It's for anybody here. This isn't part of the sermon, but it is now. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ, you need to get saved today. You do not know how long you have on this planet. Your life may be demanded of you today, and you may give an answer before a perfect and holy God who is rightfully angry with you for your sin. You better have somebody who's going to stand in the way of his wrath and you and go, wait, Dad, remember I took it. He gave his life to me, and I paid. You better have that. You need to pack your bags and be ready because all of us someday are going to stand before him, and everyone is going to give an answer. And it's either going to be because of I did enough, or I was good enough, or I gave enough, which will never, ever, ever get you in. I don't care how nice or how good you are. You will never earn the heaven, ever. Only those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his complete work, everything that he did on the cross... His burial, his death, his death, his burial, his resurrection. That is my only hope for heaven. If it's not your only hope, you ain't going. Guys, I tell you this because it matters. I tell you this because I love you. And more importantly, I tell you because God loves you. And so when, when we read these things, look, check it out. He says, for kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim its righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Here's David again going, listen, man, I'm not the king. There's one true king. And he's not king over Israel. He's king over everything. He has the true kingship. And everyone who trusts in him is going to be fortunate and be able to bow down to him and come into the throne and no matter what happens, even if I die, I'm okay. I'm more than okay. And people are going to tell this story forever. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? They're going to proclaim his promises to a people yet unborn. That's us. That's you and me. That's my kids. That's my grandbaby. That's their great-great-grandkids, if God tarries. It's an amazing thing. He is so good to us. And I, I guess I'm going to leave you with this. There is no possible way that David or the psalmist could have known how important their suffering was. They had no clue that whatever they were going through had eternal consequences because it was going to point to the one true God. You know, it was going to be the thing that caused him to be in anguish and pour out his heart about how he needed God's presence. And you and I get to look at it today and go, Jesus fulfilled everything there. You know, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying, here's what, I, quote Alan, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that what you're going through doesn't stink. I'm not saying that what you're going through is not hard. I know it is. I know it is. And you can look at people out there that are suffering and some have all these huge things, horrible things that happen in their life. Other people have just this thousand little bitty things that just keep adding up. You can't compare suffering. But I know this, we all suffer. And you're either, I tell the, the youth and the kids this all the time, You're either going to suffer alone or you're going to suffer with the creator God of the universe, the most powerful being that has ever been and ever will be with you. It's foolish to pick the former. And so my exhortation to you is, is trust God in the middle of whatever you're going through. Trust him. Turn towards him and go, man, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you are, but I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep talking to you. I'm going to keep begging you until you answer me. I'm not letting go. I'm going to wrestle with you until you bless me. And then maybe, maybe in your life, you would see God do things only he can do. You'd see him show up in ways that a world goes, what is that about? It's about the one true king. And the most amazing thing that happens, I think, In Psalms 22 is how it ends. It says that we'll go out and we'll proclaim that He has done it. And in Hebrew, it's it's one word that literally translated is this. It is finished. And the last thing that Jesus Christ said on the cross before He gave up His Spirit was it is finished. He's done the work, guys. You don't have to fight so hard. You don't have to try so hard. You don't have to be alone. I'm going to take and pray in just a second. We're going to have a time of invitation. And during that time, there's a lot of things that you can, and I would say most of them should do. You should meet with God. You should pray for his presence. We're going to pass around an offering plate. Maybe the one way that you're going to meet with him is by giving. Maybe you're going to just drop your connection card in so that we can get in contact with you or pray for you or something like that. I'm going to be up here if you want to talk or pray. We got uh, Nathan's up here too. You can come and he would pray with you as well. The altar is open. Meet with God and ask for his presence.